Well, it's a great day to be back at Out of the Main, John. Um, it wasn't all that long ago that you and I were in this very podcasting booth positing whether lightning can strike twice. So my question for you today is, can fire fall twice? And it has. It has. And yeah, it we is. are... Uh, Honored to have back, I know, Jack's already uh, shaking his head at you, Tom, but uh, we have the leader and founding member of uh, one of my favorite bands, probably since I discovered them. The first track I heard was from your third album, when I heard Strange Way, I was I was caught for good. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jock Bartley to the podcast. Hello, gentlemen and the listening audience. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, so it is. It's great to have you back. Um, John, I'm going to come back to Strange Way because uh, I oh, hear hints okay. of it on this new record that you have coming out in September, Jock, which you sent us an advanced copy of. And as the kids might say, it goes hard. Yeah. It's called Family and Friends. Tell us about the concept. And, friends uh, and family. Sorry. Friends and family. <laughs> I'm holding it up so you can see it. Yeah. Only our YouTube I, audience can see it. And by the way, oh, okay. that beautiful yes. cover my son Jamie did. Um, I'm a painter, too. And Lynn, the record label, said, why don't you paint the cover, Jock? And I went, you know. And I asked my son to come up with something. And he, and he came up with that in about a day. Um, and also the uh, the CD art on the, uh, you know, it's like he's really, really talented. So it's so great to be talking with you guys and on the verge of having a whole new album out. Well, explain really quickly. You told us the first time around this cover looks like molten lava going over a cliff. And that is the meaning of your band name. If you can explain what Firefall is for those people that don't have the history and haven't heard you the first time around on this show. Sure, I'll try not to take too long doing it. Um, when Rick Roberts presented the name Firefall, nobody else in the band, the original band, two years before we our first album hit, uh, knew what Firefall was. But from the 1890s in Yosemite National Park in California, they would set off a bonfire um, on top of a cliff, and the guy with the megaphone down at the tourist, you know, it was a tourist attraction. He would say, let the fire fall, and they slowly would have this plunger push off the bonfire, and it was like a lava molten deal and it was just spectacular they stopped it you know about 20 25 years ago because of ecological reasons but as a sidelight the natural there's two firefalls the man-made one which the uh, the picture that jamie used was pretty much that and then the natural one that there are two weeks in february every year where the setting sun in, in yosemite catches horsetail falls a waterfall just right and it illuminates it and it looks like the firefall and it looks and it's you know so it's the natural one that happens twice a year all the way back eons and uh that's where the firefall came from and uh you know it's a really cool name because there's a lot of art that goes with that yeah the art for the new album fits right in line with some of the early artwork from your earlier records so i love that but Tell us the, the concept behind this. How did this come to you, and what was it like pulling this all together? Because it's a very interesting concept, Ooh. the friends and family. Boy, there's three questions right there. The concept <laughs> is really fantastic. Um, our manager, Lynn Fico, about a year and a half ago, 
when Mark Andes, the bass player, was still in the band, we had a, a conference call, and Lynn said, you know, the original members of Firefall, many of them, um, played in other famous bands like, you know, the Birds, the Flying Breeder Brothers, Spirit, Hart, Dan Fogelberg, in my case, Graham Parsons. Um, why don't you guys make an album of just their songs? And the concept really sounded great to me. The light bulb went on, and I said, Lynn... How about we expand your idea, which is great, by the way. And in 1976, when our first album hit really big with You Are the Woman and Living Ain't Living and just the whole Firefall sound, which was pretty darn unique, actually. Um, I said, we toured with some of the best bands of the day. And let's do a song from one of some of those that included the Doobie Brothers, Fleetwood Mac, Loggins and Messina. Leonard Skinner before the plane crashed, Marshall Tucker. We got to tour with a lot of the best bands in the industry right out of the box. Amazing. And uh, he said, that's great. So the concept is in Firefall's history, which started in 1974 in Boulder, Colorado, and then got national and international in 1976 when our first album hit so big. You are the woman that I've always dreamed of I knew it from the start I saw your face and that's the last I've seen of my heart The main thing about Firefall has always been the songs. And as the lead guitar player, it's like there's, you know, thousands and thousands of great lead guitar players out there. But the songs and the singers are what made Firefall and also what made the Eagles and what made, you know, I mean, it's always the song. And, you know, and then we had a chemistry with the original band, which was Rick Roberts and Larry Burnett, the, um, the original singer songwriters, me on lead guitar, Mark Andes from spirit and Jojo gun on bass, Michael Clark from the birds and the flying burrito brothers. Um, on, on drums and the late great David Muse, who unfortunately died last year um, from cancer. Um, we had a magic going to us, but it, so the, the sound of those people playing in the studio together was really magical. But the number one thing is the songs, always the songs. Just remember I love you and it'll be all And on this album, once the concept got formalized, I realized that we had some of the very best rock and roll songs from the late 60s and 1970s to choose from. And I knew immediately that that was going to have a lot of responsibility to it, too. Like, for instance, Lynn, when he said, you guys used to tour with the band? Oh my God, Bob, you know, and Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson. And those two first bands, band albums are two of the best American albums ever made, I think. You know, um, he said, Yeah, God, the band you guys can do up on, up on Cripple Creek. And I went, No friggin' way. You know, the only person who should ever sing that song really is Levon Helm, right? So 
we had to be real careful about the selection of songs. Um, and the current Firefall lineup is myself, Steve Weinmeister, who was in the band for 25 years and then left for five years and now is back. Great singer, uh, guitar player. Our newest member is John Bisaha, a killer, absolutely killer lead vocalist and bass player. And for me as the producer and the third guy in the blend here, you know, on the low part, to have those two guys be able to sing so great on this album, unbelievable. Um, and Sandy Fick on drums and Jim Waddell, great sax flute keyboard player who replaced David Muse as his health got worse and then unfortunately died. Um, the new band, uh, you know, like, for instance, I didn't know what heart song to play. And really, the reason we're doing a heart song is we got to be really good friends with them. And also, Mark Andes was in heart for most of the 80s, you know, and Mark retired. He got tired of being on the road and really just got sick of the whole thing and retired like two months before we're supposed to start making this record, which I freaked out and went, oh, my God. And uh, then John Bisaha came into the picture and suddenly the vocals in Firefall took a quantum leap forward. First of all, I knew that any Doobie Brothers song we would pick, tens of thousands of Doobie Brothers fans would probably hate it because how dare that band record my favorite song, you know? And we had to, you know, there was a lot of songs, you know, that I would not even consider doing. You know, uh, but for instance, on the heart song, um, I didn't, you know, it's the Wilson sisters, you know, and Barracuda would be totally out of the, the question. No, you know, there's a lot of songs that on heart I wouldn't have wanted to re-record. Re uh, and by the way, let me just say that we did this recording with huge respect and love for those bands and the songs and the 70s that we all were in, you know. And, you know, I, I said to the band, I have no idea what heart song to pick. And John thought about it for about three seconds and said, I could sing the crap out of uh, What About Love. You've been hiding, never letting it show. And I went, really? He says, yeah, give me a shot at that. And I went, done. You know, and that's kind of how we picked the Doobie Brothers song, too, because, you know, we got to know and tour with the Michael McDonald skunk Baxter Doobie Brothers. You know, that occasionally on the road would have uh, the Memphis horns with them. Oh, my. Um, but I didn't I didn't know. And John pretty much said again, I'd love to give a shot to uh, Long Train Running. If you'll notice, I kind of, there's two guitar parts on the original Doobie Brothers song of that. I kind of took the second one and made it the main part and put the other one in there as little candy because, you know, we had to be really careful. And the truth is, like, for instance, on the Dan Fogelberg song, Part of the Plan, even if we did it just like Dan's record, you know, it wouldn't sound like that because it'd be different vocals, different studio, different time, all that kind of stuff. And frankly, um, the Dan Fogelberg song is very much like the record, his record, with love and respect to the late, great Dan Fogelberg. But on the Doobie Brothers song, I kind of let it as producer go a ways. 
you know, and then when we added the saxophone to that, it was like, yeah. So I liked having a bunch of the songs be just like what, you know, we were honoring, you know, the original versions. And then I liked taking the songs a kind of a different place. But the bottom line again, it was the songs. Let's start with Long Trade Running, if you don't mind, because when John got the advanced copy of the CD first, he was coming over to my house and he's like, you're not going to believe how this record opens because I rewind the Wayback Machine until about, I don't know, 11 months ago. We happened to be talking about that song. And I said, you know, it's the first time I really listened to that song on headphones. And I've always been so infatuated with the rhythm guitar part because it's so iconic and memorable. I never realized there's this little plucky part going on the left side, you know, in my left ear. And it's infectious, and I can't unhear it now. And then you lead the entire record off with this. With the part that hardly anybody ever heard. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a rock and roll. And then the but Tom can't live without it now. I can't live without it. And then the sax comes in and yeah. I'm like right away, right out of the gate. I'm like, I'm in love with this. Record. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I'm really, ha- I'm really happy to hear that because, you know, we're on a record label and our manager slash label picked for the first single and the song that they were going to push and was by far the best was the Doobie Brothers song. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought, are you sure? And they were going to put that out as the first single. And then a few weeks, a couple of months ago, they decided, no, let's put Leonard Skinner out just as a teaser. And then we'll put the Doobie Brothers song out right when the record comes out. And everybody's going to love it. You know, it, I'm really glad to hear you guys say that about the Doobie Brothers song, because I'm still just a little 5% unsure about that. I'm not unsure about a lot of the other songs that we did, you know, and the record is just so strong. But going back to the song thing. We had our pick of songs, you know, and um, it's, you know, it's just really fantastic to be able to honor the late 60s and 70s by doing our friends' songs. The the sax thing that you bring in on the long train running is, is what's going to set it apart and say, oh, well, they're not just doing a rehash of the Doobie Brothers. You, right. you have musically intended to do something more with it. And I do love how on this record... It is, as you said, a mix of some of these, we're going to do them like the record and nod to the original, and others, we're going to do complete reinventions. And the one that really caught my attention, more, more as a personal inside joke to me, is uh, <laughs> when you did Poco's Heart of the Night. Because way back in the day, when that first came out, and I'm like a teenager or something, I thought that was a Firefall tune to begin with. So I love the fact that you picked that tune. Yeah. Well... It's interesting that we didn't really tour or get to know Poco until like the 80s and 90s. And when we toured with them all the time, it was Poco, Firefall, and Pure Prairie League. It was like, that was it um, for us, you know? Mm, wow, hot bill. Yeah, 50, yeah. You know, 50% uh, of our touring days was like that because we had the same manager in Nashville. And, you know, and I got to be really good friends with Rusty Young and Paul Cotton. And, um, you know, Poco is a band that didn't quite get their due, and I hope they do get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When we, you know, the obvious choice for us was 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 uh, Paul Cotton's uh, 
in the heart of the night. 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 Down in New Orleans. Of course, Firefly doesn't have a pedal steel player like Rusty in the band. And I kind of thought it, it was interesting, guys. Some songs like World Turning by, by Fleetwood Mac that we did, I really studied Lindsay's guitar parts, you know, and mm. I'm going, oh, my God, that's great. You know, on other songs on Poco, I didn't even listen to the record. You know, I knew the line. You know, we, we were really good friends for 30 years with Poco. And I figured, you know, I can play slide guitar and kind of sound like Rusty, you know, and the love was coming out when we were recording that, you know, and I wanted to make sure that the sax, uh, the uh, slide guitar of mine and Jim's great uh, sax work on that song. And, you know, Jim plays, you know, he, he sounds like, you know, Dave Sanborn to me sometimes. It's just... You know, when you got a great sax player going, you go, hey, take all night. You're playing great. You know, um, <laughs> it was really it was really cool doing that song. And Steve Weinmeister sang the vocal on it. And that doesn't sound like the original. But it's interesting that you said that when you first heard the song, you thought it might be a Firefall song. Yeah. And that would have been radio days. And I was young and no Internet to look it up. And if they don't back announce the song, you don't know who it is. Right. This will maybe hopefully further allay your fears, Jock. I felt like every version of the song was not only a great rendition of it, it was a Firefall rendition of it. And I want to go back to how What About Love opens. And tell me, John, if you're not, if this isn't reminiscent of Strangeway. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, again, now, when you're in the studio recording a song of my own or Rick Roberts or whatever, you're creating something that's never been before. You know, like, for instance, when we did You Are the Woman, it kind of stuck out because it was really poppy and white bread and everything. And then there was all these other Mexico Cinderella, you know, kind of songs, the firefalls and stuff. Um, With this song... um, I made the acoustic guitar parts in a click track first. Some of this album was done long distance on email. And when we finally got Steve and, and John in the studio to sing together, because he lives in Nashville and we're all, and three of us are in Colorado. Um, they're also the two really good bass players in the band. You know, Steve plays great bass and John's our new bassist. And, and John said, I'm playing this part that's kind of like Strange Way because this feels like Strange Way to me. So as soon as he said that, we <laughs> played it up, you know. And I said, yeah. Jim, we need a flute. We need flute in the you know, in this, and we need you know. And we created that to be the one that really sounded like 1978 Firefall. What a nice touch to add the female harmony yeah. though. Because you miss the Wilson sisters, right? Or you could potentially miss it. But just adding a single female voice in that harmony and just pay such homage to to the original. I just well, not it, to just talk about John Bisaha, but his wife, Holly, 
That's Holly Bisaha, and she's in The Babies with John. She's one of the two female singers in The Babies now. And, you know, The Babies only play like five or six or seven gigs a year. So, you know, John's got that going, but we're, you know, we got a new album and he's singing Simple Man and, you know, it's really great. But I agree with you. I knew I wanted to have at least one, if not a bunch of girls on that. And I just thought, you know, John's got his own thing i just sent him the track and they they did the harmony vocals and sent them back and it was like wow this sounds great well my question i'm looking through the credits of this and you've got as you mentioned everybody what they play but you have your something on your list of credits that i kind of wanted to dig down and see if you could explain um you have something on your list called high strung guitars now i'm familiar with a nashville strung guitar is that what you're talking about or is there something can you briefly explain what that means to people i hope it's not a typo it's supposed to be high string guitar high string yeah yeah well high strung would be a yeah maybe Uh, (laughs) after three cups of string guitars i think they use this in um nashville a lot but i don't really know what it's called um, I've always called it high string guitar, and I learned about it from somebody out in L.A. back in the 70s. And what it is, so a 12-string guitar has six of the regular guitar strings and then octaves above the strings um, until you get to the top two. And so what this is, the high string guitar is the an acoustic guitar strung with the high strings of a 12-string guitar. So you got the first two like that, and uh-huh. then you got the high G, high D, high A, high E, an octave above where a real guitar sounds like. Yeah, that's what somebody called a, high, a Nashville guitar to me, but they weren't from Nashville. The person that told me that weren't from Nashville <laughs> either, but that's what I learned as a Nashville strung acoustic. Oh, real? okay, good. Nashville strung acoustic. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that totally, but it's interesting because... If you strum or have a little picking pattern on um, on a regular on an E minor chord on a regular guitar, you you finish that, you make a track out of it, and there it is, right there. Mm-hmm. You play the exact same thing on a high string guitar, and it make it opens it up and it adds this new deal to it that's unbelievable. Then yeah, split them left and right in the mix, and you have what amounts to a stereo. St- 12 string guitar sound right which only the six bottom strings there and the six on one side yeah i didn't do that on our bird song feel a whole lot better i asked my friend john jorgensen who's one of the best guitar players in the planet you know if he'd play ricky 12 on that and he said sure you know so he played the roger mcguinn stuff on the on the bird song we did but yeah the you know back to the heart song um it was so Great. And I didn't mention real quickly in the Heart song, I got to know Howard Lease from Heart way back in the early, you know, mid 70s when we tour with him all the time. I asked him if he wanted to play the solo. And he said, I'd be honored. And then he listened to our version. He said, but you changed the chords a little bit. So I can't play the same solo. And I said, oh, I don't want you played a brilliant solo on the original 80s Heart song. I said, I don't want that same solo. Play something new, you know, let's go. So actually... (laughs) And did he ever? So actually, that's Howard. And what was interesting, just as a little sidelight, he he gave me the crunch guitars. He sent, he he emailed them back to me. But the solo he played, which was really good, and it was the one that was used, 
was on this clean, direct-sounding guitar that had no sustain. And I went, what? You've been playing with Bad Company the last year. You will hear some power here. I need some power <laughs> guitar, you know? And so what happened was his engineer out in L.A. printed all the reverb and echo on the clean guitar. So when we took, here's some studio lore for your listeners. Okay, you've got Howard's yeah. clean guitar on one track. Track 21. Um, on 22, we added an amp simulator that you can go in and say, let's play through a Marshall. No, how about a Fitter Twin? Oh, no, that's, how about a uh, Seymour Duncan? You know, you can have, you know, you can make a clean guitar sound like a dirty guitar and, you know, a sustaining guitar. But the problem was is because the echo and the reverb had been printed on the track. When we did that to the amp version, it was too much. It, you know, the, the echo was like, oh, crap, what am I going to do now? And then I realized that if I learned the solo verbatim and played it with my sound with no effects on it and no echo, and we put the three guitars together, yeah, there's plenty of echo and reverb. And so on that solo, there's a clean Howard guitar, there's a simulated dirty guitar of Howard's, and then there's one of me playing the same thing, and you put them together and make it sound like one guitar. Wow, that is some studio lore. Yeah, baby. Nice. Inside baseball, inside (laughs) rock and roll. (laughs) Well, as long as we are pouring through the liner notes, um, I got to mention two names. Uh, Both gentlemen have been on the podcast twice, two of our favorite people in the world. Tristan Bowden and Lance Hoppin from Orleans collaborate with you on the track that is out now which you mentioned but it's the only song currently in august 2023 that you can hear uh unless you uh, have the disc the, the advanced cd and that is um the leonard skinner tune simple man So tell us why you brought those cats in other than they're just awesome players and awesome people. Well, they're awesome players and they're awesome people. And um, that's it. (laughs) I wanted to have some guest stars on this record. And I knew I wanted Chris who was in fire after he quit. He and George Hawkins quit. uh, Kenny Loggins, band broke up and we got, Chris and George, one of the best rhythm sections in history, on one album of ours, and then George went and joined Mick Fleetwood in Africa. Yeah, Clouds Across the Sun. It's a great one. Yeah, and Chris was our drummer for about a year and made, yeah. I don't know, an album and a half or something with us. And and I've told Chris, he's a good friend of mine, and then for people who don't know, he became Chicago's uh, drummer for, what, 25 or 30 years or something. Right. Chris is one of the really rare drummers who, on one hand, is totally precise, can play with a metronome, is a metronome. Every every fill and every, you know, is really precise. But then, at the same time, he's one of the loosiest kind of, hey, and playing a groove (laughs) as anybody I've ever played with. And, you know, you play with a lot, you know, a lot of drummers are really just groove guys. You know, and they're not that precise or they're really precise and they don't really have a really down and nasty groove. 
and Trish does, and I knew Trish what I wanted Trish to be one of my um one of my guest stars. And Sandy Ficka, our drummer, was totally cool with that. And Sandy played great on 10 or 11 tracks, uh, I guess 11. And, um, you know, so I emailed it to him and Tris, you know, Tris went in the studio. And in fact, he called me and he said, you know, I was going to put my, my own drum slant on Simple Man, but anything I tried didn't really work. He said, I think mm. I'm going to just play what the Leonard Skinner guy played. And I went, mm, mm, fine, mm -hmm. you know, it's great. And uh, and John sang the heck out of that song. And that kind of, and of course, we, we could have had one of our bass players play on Simple Man, but I had told Lance about the idea. And he said, when we were out on the road together sometime, you know, I said, you know, I should have you play on the record. He's going to be one of my guest stars. And he said, great, which song? I said, I don't know yet. And, you know, Simple Man was the next to last song out of 13 songs we cut. In fact, the Leonard Skinner song and the Doobie Brothers song were the two last songs we cut. And, and wow. before that, we didn't really know. I didn't know if we were going to do a Skinner song or not. You know, and, uh, you know, but anyway, I asked Lance and he said, well, you know, the original's really pretty busy. The bass player's all over the place. And I kind of like it. And I said, great, play your head, play whatever you feel like. You know, those guys are master musicians and have made many, many gold and platinum records and, and just are, are pros in the studio like I am. And, uh, you know, it was great having Tris. So they didn't play together. I, I, I emailed bo both of them, Tris in, in uh, Florida and Lance in Nashville. And we put together that when I got it back and we put it into the studio mix in Boulder, Colorado, I went, oh, boy. And then that's when you figure out there's not much else needed on this, you know, on this record. That's funny because Tris joked that he still has not met Lance, even though he's played with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jack, you, if your ears were burning um, two weeks ago, we were on this very podcast talking about this interesting lick that ah, you did yeah. uh, at the end of Mexico, the recorded, you know, studio version of Mexico. And, um, you know... It, it's kind of during the play out, you're doing a lead and Mark Andes has this awesome bass fill kind of turn around, do, 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 do. And then he repeats it. And then the second time you nail it right on, but harmonize. Remember that? So we were just loving it, loving it. And then John and I were wondering how planned out was that or how spontaneous was it? And then the broader question is, the style, I've been listening to nothing but Firefall the last few days. You do a lot of harmonizing with yourself in the guitar, the two-part. Uh, oh, right. Uh, wonder where that style came from. So I guess answer the first question Wait, first. take all my questions. Go ahead. <laughs> well, geez. Spontaneous? Um, the first thing I'm going to say is, um, I've told Rick Roberts this a number of times that I was born to play on his song, Mexico. And as I may have told you guys before, I'll make this one a short story. I didn't know it at the time at Criteria Studios, but when I was recording what ended up being a one-take solo start to finish, my guitar hero, Eric Clapton, was watching me play from the control room. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. And, you know, it was a good thing I didn't know he was there because I wouldn't have right. been able to play anything. Um, to your question, sir, um, Mark's lick was a spontaneous lick. And... Um, 
that he just played. We have since made that a part of the song live every night we play it. Da 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 da. da. You know, we do that at a certain point. Um, I had really kind of studied Mexico before I went out to do the solo on that. And I knew where that was coming. And when I heard the first one, him play that, I went, I had worked out, okay, the only thing I worked out about that song was that lick, you know, because everything else I was just playing off the top of my head and just going for it. But when I heard Mark play that first one, I knew that, I don't know, but for instance, if he played the, the root in A, I knew that me starting my lick in C, which was the five, you know, da 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 da, you know, that I'd play a harmony to it. So I've never in 40 some years been asked about that lick. So I, I, I sure appreciate it. You know, I sure appreciate it, Tom, but, um, Mexico is one of those songs. uh, Cinderella, Mexico, strange way. You know, there are some songs of ours that were so magical and, you know, at one point in the studio, you have to just go, that's enough. No more. Yeah. Not one more thing. And that's some of one of the reasons I really like, our friends and family album in my production of that is I kept it pretty sparse. We don't have a lot of extra guitars or vocals or strings or stuff doing things. I wanted those songs and our performance of them to stand up kind of by itself. So fairly simple production. Going back to the first album. In fact, I'm going to ask you about the first song on the first album. It's something that reoccurs a few times in your guitar playing throughout that album, but it's most noticeable on the first song, It Doesn't Matter. And you'll hit a note, a lot of long sustained notes, and and then as it's sustaining, there's the fundamental, and then we hear this octave or even two octave, almost like harmonic harmonic feedback or something rising up each time. And I know there's pedals and things that can do that now. But back then, there probably was not. Were you sitting right in front of your amp, creating that whistling? How were you doing that? What a great question, John. <laughs> even better well, than mine? I, what? Deeper. Better than my question Mine's about even Mexico? more inside baseball. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, this is great, and I'm being asked questions that really nobody's ever asked me in, since the 70s, you know, as many thousands of interviews I've done. So... I have a Fender Super Reverb amp with four 10-inch speakers on it that back in the day, with my 58 Cherry Sunburst Les Paul, which until recently was worth more than my house, (laughs) now is a vintage Les Paul, those two things, my guitar and the amp, with my style of playing and the bone tone that I have in my fingers, there was a time, um, John, that I could hit pretty much any note on my fretboard and have it just go, ooh, and then I go, there it is. I don't have to move. Wow. And, you know, you take two steps that way, right or left, and you lose that. And on stage, and I'm playing through a rental amp every night, and I have a monitor, and sometimes with my distortion pedals and you know just doing what i do live you can find that place Mm -hmm. between the monitor which has got your guitar and the amp which is cranking where you go 
There it is. Uh, Don't move. Resonance. And the and when you can hold a note as long as you want to, indefinitely if you want to, um, that opens you up to just, you know, stuff. So back to the specific of your question. I was probably standing pretty close to my uh, to my Fender Super when I was playing that solo, but when the sustained note, which was from the tube amp to the guitar, the humbucking pickups in a guitar, when it was going like that, sometimes what happens is in about a, a second or two or three, other harmonics just grow. Yeah. And and I don't have any control about what harmonics are. They could be, like you said, an octave up or two octaves up or mm -hmm. a harmonic of the fifth. Yeah. Or, you know, you don't know what it's going to be, yeah. you know. But when you got that, and I think it doesn't matter, is maybe, along with Mexico, but my solo on that and on the ending of that where I controlled the thing really well and then went into other licks and stuff, um, you know, not only might that be one of my better and best solos ever. But that's the best example of my Les Paul with no pedal and my amp turned up to eight or nine or ten. Wow magic my takeaway just more generally from my recent uh, revisit through the entire catalog is my listening recommendation would be to have people go through your entire re uh your album your discography with headphones because i never realized how wide the mixes are so you mentioned that high string guitar there's something on the left and on the right that just opens up the entire mix and it's you know it's, it's two different players that now i know but it sounded like all right how did they pan the guitar left and right it sounds like it's one instrument we on our first album recorded the acoustic guitars with larry playing his part or rick playing his part and me adding any other additional part that anybody thought we needed by the second and third record I was kind of doing all the acoustic guitars and sometimes like on just remember, I love you. There's four, either three or four of me playing acoustic guitar, play the same thing over here on the right, left and right. And then let's put one in the middle and there'd be three performances yeah. of the same thing. And that's how, at least on some of those records, how we got the acoustic guitars to sound so big. Really big, yeah. It's cool. But you know what? What When you asked that question, what came to mind was the Beatles records. They, on four tracks, George Martin and Jeff Emmerich, the main engineer for a lot of those Beatles records, you know, and they only had four tracks to work with. So you might have the really great sounding guitar solo on this track on the right, but you've also got, you know, uh, some harmony vocals, or you've got the tambourine and harmony vocals and the bass is over here. They had to make four tracks work. And if you listen to Beatles records and you, with headphones on, you just go, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, back then they had to know how to record and how to think ahead more than the mix. It didn't happen at the mix stage as much as it happened during the recording and the planning stage. Right, that's that true. Stuff right, yeah, yeah. 
And then for this album, which you mentioned, you didn't want to overproduce it, but it it doesn't sound stripped down. It sounds very full, sounds very polished, sounds very present. So (laughs) awesome job. I have one last question about it. And you were the producer, so congrats as well. Thanks. I'm Um, really uh, really proud of it. That's for sure. you, You should be. You do a rockin' version of a tune that I think can only be done rockin', and that is Angry Eyes by Loggins and Messina. So what's the friends or family connection to Loggins and Messina? We toured with them a lot. We did their last we did their last tour. I think they broke up in nineteen seventy six. I could be wrong, it could be seventy seven. But that was the natural, obvious choice to do from Loggins and Messina. You know, and you know, it probably wasn't their big hit and they had a couple of hits, you know, your mama don't dance and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But that was so firefall. And I mean, that one translates to us, you know, really well. And Jim Waddell on saxophone just plays his tail off. Well, Jack, congratulations on a very well done uh, album. Uh, drops in September, mid-September. We do go out and you can listen to uh, the Leonard Skinner cover now because that's on all uh, streaming platforms. You have dates coming up, live dates. And my yep. question then is, are you going to be doing these numbers during your live show? The problem with that is, is when Firefall plays a show with two or three other bands, and we do a lot of packages with, you know, uh, Atlanta Rhythm Section, Firefall in Orleans, or Pure Prairie League and Firefall. And so, you know, it's like, and you're only given a 45 minute set. Now, on a 60 or 75 or, or 90 minute set, yes, we're going to play select songs from this record. But in a 45 minute set, I know which Firefall songs have to be on there because people want to hear You Are the Woman and Just Remember I Love You in a Strange Way in Mexico. And they want to hear, you know, and. The cool thing about Firefall for me is that I keep a really tight rein on just remember I love you and you are the woman and strange way until the solo has to sound like the record as much as we can make it sound like the record because that's why people are paying paying money for their tickets. Oh, I love that song. Um, You know, but we also with songs like Mexico or the flute solo on strange way or living ain't living for me or something. We have, total freedom to go in new places when the solos are happening or the interaction interaction between the players, you know, um, it's, it's really cool. And Firefall does have a lot of dates coming up and uh, in the fall and winter. In fact, I had to tell my agent, look, a couple of years ago, you had us go to green Bay, Wisconsin for, for, you know, three years in a row in January. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, I love Green Bay, but you know, no. how about another month than that? <laughs> yeah. <Let's> try August. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, so anyway, the new album we're really proud of. Uh, let me say that if anybody wants to pre-order it, you know, you can go to Amazon and and pay the money and I've heard that you would get your album sent a couple of weeks before it is actually released in September. Ooh, but, there you uh, go. La, la. Uh, I'm I'm chomping at the bit. You know, I want people to hear hear how good this record is. 
And I've got a scoop for you, Tom and John. Ooh, I got a scoop. Like oh, awesome. I got a scoop. I better scoot in a little bit here. Yeah, we're not reporters, but we take scoops. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. We're starting Friends and Family 2 now. Oh, all right. All right. And Woo. just to give you a teaser, you know, we had So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star by the Birds ready for this album. But I kind of didn't want to do two bird songs. I only wanted to do one. So we have that one to be on this new record. And the two songs that I've already started working on are Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Mm -hmm. Nice. And Love the One You're With by Stephen Stills. No, very good. Oh, very nice. Oh, you're looking And we're going to pick a Beach Boy song and we're going to pick maybe another Doobie Brothers song or, you know, it's so great. And and this album, I want to put two or three new Firefall songs on there just as a bonus or something because some people go, oh, man, you know, I, I, I hate cover albums. You know, it's like, but like you guys said earlier, I think we treated each one of these songs with with respect and love and, and it comes across. It does. And it's an interesting concept. So that makes it worth it. Because as I'm listening, I'm like, geez, I wonder, I'm trying to picture you, uh, you know, sharing the stage with the Doobie Brothers back in the 70s or something. I'm like, God, I wish I could go back in time no and kidding. be there. So, well, right. thank you for being here, Jock, again, for the second time. Come back um, anytime, certainly when uh, version two about, is ready. How about to tomorrow? Tomorrow at noon, okay? Uh, All right. I'm, well, I'm good. Uh, noon your time or our time? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But thanks for the invitation. And really nice talking to you guys again. And, the brothers in Detroit. Yay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The Motown mutts or something. Right. <laughs> All right. So, thanks, Jack. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. We see you again. So that story about the guitar and the way he makes it whistle does go on for a while. There's a lot more to it after the, after the fact, and it comes sort of comes around full circle. But that is... Uh, bonus content for the youtube audience the youtube video will post and they always have the extended cut sometimes we yammer on and sometimes you get to see our mistakes mm-hmm. behind the scenes of uh how we communicate and miscommunicate so it's it's a good watch so what do you think of that yeah and sometimes we say goodbye to the guests and then they say oh one more thing <laughs> they do and then we include the one more thing so yeah. uh those video interviews usually post a few weeks after the podcast episode drops so yeah we have to get it all together and get approvals and yada yada Yada, yada, and more yada yeah i mentioned the bisque uh speaking of yada yep lightning round okay who's first uh well mine's pretty simple go uh so to find something at sea i went and I explored the entire Firefall catalog as we knew we were going to have Jack back on. Yeah. And I know you did too, right? Or yeah. have in the past. Yeah. I periodically go through it. Just It's a great listen. So Firefall's more of the kind of rock, especially with this new record, is rock. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah, they've transitioned for yep. sure. Um, but I think I found what appears to be, in my estimation. So this isn't going to be Canary in the Coal Mine, is it? No, I okay. don't know. What's that? I don't know. You bring that up all the time. I don't know what it means. <laughs> so, no, this is not that. Okay. I'll explain later. Uh, this is what I think it might be the funkiest song in the Firefall catalog. It's mm-hmm. from the original album, Firefall, Ooh. 1976. This one's called No Way Out. Sound, 
So, uh, Mark Andy's doing a little funky bass line there. Yeah, and that's one of those Larry Burnett songs. It, um, it, it, it leads me perfectly to my found it, see, because it's so closely related. I'm just going to hit you with it. Cool. If I can. You can always add on. But you mentioned while we were talking to Jock that um, how you like to listen in headphones because it gives you, you the wide stereo and you realize how well organized the mixes are as well. Right. And how that goes with the arrangement. Well, I will add that a great way to listen to Firefall is not to go to the Greatest Hits collection, not go to a This Is Firefall or some sort of playlist. You need to go to the albums and listen to the albums in sequence because part of the magic of understanding Firefall is hearing them in the order that these albums are because often you've got a very large difference between the Rick Roberts written songs, Mm -hmm. which are much more poppy, uh, those most of the big hits, uh, and you just mentioned a Larry Burnett song, which are a little more bluesy or darker, and they have an angst about them. And the two juxtapose each other so perfectly that it makes the flow of the albums absolutely great. It's entirely different listen listening to them that way than going to the greatest hits and just hearing the bunch of Rick, Rick Roberts tunes. Agreed. As great as they are, you need you almost need that salt to go with the sugar, you know? Agreed. And each album has its own sort of feel mix-wise. Yeah. So it's good to sort of follow that progression. I would start at the beginning and move all the way forward. It is important to recognize, since we are uh, still using the words Yacht Rock in our podcast, <laughs> that they're one of those groups that probably fall under the comfy label. Mm-hmm. People think that they're... Uh, Songs like You Are the Woman and Just Remember I Love You might be yacht rock. and uh, So comfy meaning commonly mistaken for yacht. Uh, We should point out that they were uh, looked at by the certification board. Should we call them that? Okay. Um, You Are the Woman, 28.5. And Just Remember I Love You, 17.25. So well below the Mendoza line. But for me, Wimby. Ah, Well, well, it's on my boat, y'all. My boat, y'all. Was that your found at sea? All of that? All of that. Gobbledygook? Okay. (laughs) What do you have for Buried Treasure? Buried Treasure. Uh, Second album. One of their great songs. Another Rick Roberts song, but was never a hit uh, because they had so many. This one got overlooked. A little slower tune. 1977 from Luna Sea. This is Someday Soon. I'll be by your side each afternoon. That is a buried firefall treasure. Yes. Well, I will see your buried firefall treasure and raise you a buried firefall treasure because I am going to, in some ways, refute everything you just said about them being comfy because I think I found their yachtiest track. It should come as no surprise that it came off a 1982 album called Mm -hmm. Break of Dawn. Yeah. It features one David Sanborn on saxophone. It features one electronical piano. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it features, uh, the album features Tristan Bowden and Stephen Steele's. But listen to how Yachty, I think, anyway, Take Me Back off Break of Dawn is.
Well, you hear that intro and you start to think, oh, maybe, just maybe. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. Would I put it over 50? Uh, probably not, but you're right. That's got to be the closest. Got I it. think it's the yachtiest. Uh, it's a buried treasure, too. Yeah, indeed. All right. That whole album is a bit of a buried treasure. Yep. The, the whole catalog is a buried okay, treasure. Okay, there it's true. <laughs> anyway, speaking of the catalog and Tristan Bowden, who I just spoke of, um, you already brought to us the Clouds Across the Sun song from yeah. 1980, yeah. which featured George Hawkins and Tristan Bowden. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we didn't focus on, which I'd like to focus on now and give Jock his proper due as guitarist, and let's listen to the guitar solo that comes out of the chorus at two minutes. Clouds across the sun. When you got a backbone like that of Tris and George, I mean, what did Jock say something about the greatest rhythm section in the history of music or something Ooh, like that? Could be. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, and that, and then that, the, that really shows it. A solo starts out mellow and then just starts to rip. Fun fact. Ooh. Remember Bill Schnee? I, I've heard of him. Yeah, we just talked to him. He mixed Staying With It off of oh, that album. Interesting. That was the hit off that album. Yep. Right. Fun fact. It right. is fun. What is your fact? Fun All right, or off not? the map, since we're talking guitar solos, that was a very jock style solo. And and he does have a sound, he does have a style, but he also has more dimension than what you would think. Um, we think of that sound, I think of that sound when I think of jock playing. But here is my off the map, because this is a ballad, but maybe because it's got the word fool in it, maybe it gets a little more cred. I don't know how that all works, but... Acoustic guitar solo here, also from Lunacy. This is from Only a Fool. Entirely different sound. Yes. That song has an entirely different sound. It's kind of like uh, marina rock. Yeah, you got a little bit of the marimba roll, the brrrr on the marimba. Yep. You're like, oh, suddenly and, we're in a Buffett song. Well, we need to hit the, the pun bell once for Only a Fool. Okay. And then the album title being Luna C, uh-huh. which is Lunacy. Mm. <laughs> it never dawned on me until just recently that that's what they did there. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. All right. Well, I guess... Uh, that's all, folks. But it, but it, but it. Ahoy, ploy. Yeah. 